Hey, I'm Raji Sohal. I wanted to highlight just a few stories from today's program. We talked to Sigri Kendrick about the popularity of xeriscaping, that's getting rid of your lawn for something that requires less irrigation, and Eric Steinberg on what customers think of the value they're getting or not getting from streaming services like Netflix. But first, Hockey Canada has a problem. Just what are they doing about it? That's up first. Hockey Canada has been confronting the reality of its connection to an alleged sexual assault by eight former Canadian Hockey League players following a Hockey Canada Foundation event in London, Ontario in June 2018. So following that news, Hockey Canada sponsors, uh, which included Esso, Scotiabank and others, pulled their sponsorship. Is this the first step towards accountability? Does this make a difference? So we're talking to Bruce Kidd, a professor of em- a professor emeritus of sport and public policy at the University of Toronto and a former Olympic track athlete. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Raji. So at first, Hockey Canada's line was, uh, we don't have to get into this. It was part of a settlement. We're done commenting. That's what they said several weeks ago. Then you had the sponsors pull their deals out, and things seemed to change, didn't they? Yes, they did. And uh, money talks and uh, the national embarrassment yesterday or the day before, Scotiabank ran full-page ads in the major newspapers in Canada and similar uh similar announcements on social media. I think that's going to have an effect, but uh, it's only the whistleblowing. I think we've got to see real action to, uh, to put in place solutions, and that's going to be a hard slog. You mentioned whistleblowing. Uh, what do you mean by that? What would you like to see happen? Well, um, the, the, the rape culture, the gang rape culture has been part of hockey for as long as anybody can remember and from time to time people draw attention to it there's um, hand wringing uh, maybe uh, the discipline of one or two athletes and coaches and then the world moves on I think with these major withdrawals uh, there's going to be pressure for change and so that's what I mean by whistleblowing Um, it it is said uh, at at a level that everybody in Canada is talking about, that there's something wrong about the culture of our national sport. As much pleasure it gives us on the ice behind the scenes, there are too many instances of horrible assaults on on women and other forms of maltreatment of of athletes, male athletes in the sport. And um, and that's got to stop, and we've got to find a way to to both uh, bring it to an end give those who have been victimized by that a chance to tell their story and seek justice and uh, and, and embark upon a major project of, of cultural change. And that's what I mean, it's going to be a slog. So when you mentioned whistleblowing, what I thought you might have been suggesting is that more people who have stories come forward. As I have talked to people who are in lower levels of hockey, they tell me at the lower levels and even at younger ages, uh, they're exposed to uh, just terrible harassment and that none of that is getting aired either. What effect do you think that the ads that the sponsors put out had? Well, I think it has, has uh, given people in the situations you describe encouragement that they may be able to bring their stories forward. But um, but that's that's got to really happen. What what has got to what 
what Hockey Canada has got to do or be forced to do is join the new independent mechanism for investigating maltreatment and sexual abuse in sport that is being established uh, in Montreal. It's it, it's just up and running. It's less than a month old. And, uh, and, and the idea is to provide uh, an avenue for people to bring those stories forward, uh, to have them independently investigated, to have uh, appropriate discipline uh, meted out in a, in, in a fair and independent way. And then uh, if, if people are convicted of, of, of serious abuse, to have them banned from the sport or some other appropriate thing. At the moment, that um, independent mechanism, it's called the Office of Sport Integrity Commissioner, that is only designed to deal with the, the national teams and the national sports organizations, including hockey. And the trick and the challenge has been to include federal, uh, provincial, territorial, and local sports bodies in that. And, and I'm hoping that this moment of the spotlight uh, on, on Hockey Canada uh, will, um, will, will lead uh, the leaders of hockey to bring in those lower levels. So the, the athletes in Burnaby you're talking about exactly. who have been abused have, have access to this independent mechanism. Uh, you, you know, what it's going to mean is that there's going to be um, – there's there's going to be tsunami of uh, historical cases coming forward. The U.S. established such a safe sport mechanism several years ago, and we're overrun initially by the the backlog of complaints. But we've got to hear those complaints, and they've got to be they've got to be fairly uh, investigated and adjudicated. And it's not just enough that that uh, only the athletes at the national level have access to that system or people who are abused by people at the national level, but it extends right across sport. So interesting, Bruce, because what you're describing is basically uh, Hockey Canada being forced to have integrity. And I wonder why, why does the public and the sponsors feel the responsibility that they have to hold Hockey Canada's hand and show them what to do? Why doesn't Hockey Canada have any of this wherewithal on their own? Well, I think they've been, in, in, in fairness to them, they've been struggling with it. It's such a huge problem. It, uh, it extends everywhere, and it's been easier to pretend it doesn't exist, and there's, a lot of, there's been a lot of pressure, uh, you know, from the sponsors, I would say, from the media, to look the other way. Uh, the culture has been that we, we, we admire, um, the, you know, the, the high scores. Uh, the, the beautiful uh, skaters, passers, regardless of what their personal lives are, but um, that reckoning with the reckoning with that has has come, and and I'm hoping that that this will bring about uh, the change. But it, it's it's it, it's it's got to be a major change. It's it's not a quick fix. We've got to we've got to change the whole sport. This sport is representative of all of us in Canada, whether we. We, we like it or not, um, it's, it's um, and, and we haven't talked about the, the need to address gender inequality in hockey and the woeful underfunding and under-recognition of women's hockey. 
uh, in this conversation. One of the good things about Scotiabank is that they are, are redirecting their money to women's hockey, and that's long overdue. We need we need equal treatment of women in hockey. But the correct me if I'm wrong, in, isn't that temporary? Didn't they say that was a temporary redirection? They did, they did, and let's hope that, that, that we, I mean, it, it, it's got to be permanent. We've got to have, we've got equal treatment of, of athletes, male and female, uh, right across the board, and that includes hockey. Quite frankly, we've got to have equal treatment of women in the media too, and that's another story. I know you've probably got to go, but the unequal treatment of women in the Canadian media has been part of the, the part of the enabling of this uh, this misogynist culture, the 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 idea that men can do no wrong, but uh, but people are now realizing that that's not acceptable, and we've got to make change. Yeah, so now that these large corporations have pulled their money and it's kind of given Hockey Canada a reason to uh, look more closely at what they're doing and what they can do to prevent this kind of thing from happening in the future. So you're right, money talks. I'm wondering what else can be done socially at this point by other bodies that have nothing to do with Hockey Canada in order to keep the conversation going? Well, I think... uh Every every major organization uh, has got to uh, to to reconsider the way it enables the maltreatment and uh, and sexual abuse of the, of the members of its organizations. Universities and colleges uh, in Canada have gone through this, uh, and uh, we're, we're working very hard to to change the culture and bring better protections in place. But it's still a work in process. The major banks have gone through this. It's still a work in process. And, and as you're suggesting, all of us need to do that. Uh, those of us in positions of, of responsibility who have teaching roles have got to reinforce that what was r- reported in that gang rape is completely unacceptable. It's completely beyond uh, the bounds of, of, of what is acceptable in any walk of life. And it can, it should never, ever, ever happen, and um, and, and that's got to happen right across the board. Thank you, Bruce, for being with us this morning. You're welcome. We're going to check in about Netflix because last week we talked about how Netflix cut 300 jobs after their subscribers dropped significantly. Now, some might say, oh, Netflix is huge. Nothing is going to make this giant waiver. But now streaming services like Disney Plus and HBO Max are thriving. So let's welcome Eric Steinberg to the show. He's media research and insights lead at WIP Media. Good morning, Eric. Good morning. How are you? Great. Thanks for giving us some time this Sunday morning. Now, where is Netflix ranking among the streaming services today? Well, we did a survey here in the U.S. based on satisfaction. And, you know, they're sat- in terms of satisfaction, they were behind HBO Max and Disney Plus and Hulu, which I'm not sure is, I don't think that's available up in Canada, but it's a big service here. But in terms of their value, when we asked specifically about the value, we asked about several different components of this, you know, their, the quality of their series, the quality of their movies, the variety of the product, et cetera. When we asked about the value, uh, they were dead last. And uh, so that is, is where their real Achilles heel is right now. Okay, that's interesting. Why are people so dissatisfied with Netflix? Well, 
it's they they were very satisfied with them about a year ago. But the big change is that they a couple of things. First of all, the other guys are getting more and more competitive with their programming, and the other guys are now at least here in the U.S. not the most expensive service. Netflix raised their price. Uh, in the first quarter of this year. And when we asked people who canceled the service, why did you cancel? The number one answer was that they raised the price. 69% of our sample said, well, they raised the price, so I'm not going to stay anymore. When you look at what's going on with HBO Max and Disney Plus, uh, in terms of how people perceive their content, you know, we asked them about the quality and the variety of both series, library series, and of course, movies. Um, in every category, HBO Max uh, is a leader, and so is Disney Plus, depending upon which of those three we're asking about. Netflix is at best uh, maybe third in terms of the variety of the content, but otherwise they're usually about fourth, uh, and they do lag behind in movies. So when you then raise your price to be the most expensive service in the U.S. above those other folks who have who who people think have higher quality stuff, uh, that's a problem, and that's why okay. you need to significant. So it sounds like attitudes around the brand are changing. Uh, you mentioned Hulu and whether you can get it in Canada. Well, if you type that into Google, you get uh, dozens of responses about how you could potentially possibly watch Hulu in Canada. So are people actively looking to stream elsewhere because of this change of perception around Netflix? Well, they are certainly, you know, look, they, they lost 640,000 subscribers in the U.S. and Canada. That's how they reported uh, in the first quarter. And they are projecting to lose, I think, two million more. I'm not sure if that's in the next quarter or the next year. But we're going to find out in about two weeks or so. I think on the 19th, they announced their first quarter earnings, and we're going to see who else they lose. Meanwhile, other services have picked up. Uh, some of them, smaller ones like Paramount Plus has been going up. Uh, Peacock went up. Disney Plus has gone up a little bit. Uh, Etc. So yes, the other guys are. There's a lot of churn going on. People, it's very easy to cancel a service and then go get another. We found in our survey that the cancellation rates for all of these uh, services year to year were either flat or up, but subscriptions in general are going up because of all the churn. Yeah, it's interesting. And yet Netflix has been saying in the media, including just two two days ago to the New York Times, that oh, it's business as usual. But it's not, is it? Well, it's what they're doing internally is they are being very aggressive about looking at their, their costs. That's for sure. And that's why, you know, you've seen, I think this year they're up to 450 uh, layoffs, um, of, of their layoffs of their workforce. But I think what they're, when they say that, what they're talking about is how, they're, uh, how much money they're spending on their content. I believe the number was last year was $18 billion on content. Uh, this year, they've cut that down to 17. Uh, so that doesn't sound like a big drop to me. Um, and so that's that's the one way that I would say they're adjusting for it. But that's what they mean by that. It's still business as usual. They're still aggressively producing content because they haven't changed their release strategy, which is we're going to throw all the episodes we have at something at once up on the platform. They don't really parse it out the way, say, HBO Max might do two or three at a time once every week. They'll they, they kind of go in a drip while Netflix goes all at once, and therefore they have to feed that pipeline and continue to finance more and more content. Meanwhile, Eric, Apple TV is making big headway, isn't it? Yeah, their satisfaction scores are way up. 
uh, and it's mostly on the, it's almost entirely on the strength of their original series, and you can tie a lot of that to Ted Lasso. But they've got some other things there, too, that have gotten critical attention, going back to when they launched with the morning show, but they also have Severance, which has done very well for them. But yeah, Ted Lasso is a real game changer for them, and people are really are really digging Apple TV+. Plus. Now, they have a, a, an issue with their library. It's, all, it's not really a library. They don't really have a lot going for them there. And when people churn on Apple TV, it's because they've pretty much seen everything they're going to see, and they might wait for the next season of the, the one series that they like to come back. So did your report look at what people see as an indispensable service? Like if they can keep only one, which one do they want to go with? Right. Now, Netflix is still the indispensable service. We, asked, we can trend this. We asked this last year. Uh, and 41% of the survey said Netflix was the indispensable service. But that number this year has dropped 10 points down to 31%, which still leads, you know, they still have that first mover's advantage. They're still a very strong brand, and they still have a lot of good programming. But now you're seeing the effects of all this increased competition in the space. So the next question might be, who's gaining? And that's HBO Max and, and Disney. HBO Max went up from 13% to 19%, and Disney went from 9% to 14%. And of course, the really interesting thing about Disney is um, they, they will go up even more if you filter this for just people who have kids in the house. Then they go up to 18%. So that's a four-point gain over their, their current number here for, for the total survey. Nobody else really moves like that. It's just Disney Plus, and for obvious reasons. Yeah, kids in the house would be a big factor in terms of determining which uh, streaming service to go with. And now, is the success uh, down to usually just a few programs that are total knockouts, or is it about having a variety, a smorgasbord? Well, it is certainly about, it's, it's about both. Look, a big show certainly drives subscriptions. That's what Netflix banks on. And all these guys, to a certain extent, do that, too. They know that that is what will get you in the tent. Uh, but the way they can keep you in the tent is with the variety of the programming they have and the size of their library. We asked a, a question in last year's survey about what was more important to you, original series or library. And library always came out ahead, even when we did this. Really? That's so, yeah. that's so interesting, Eric, that library came out ahead. Why do you think that is? Well, when you're done with that one series that you that you came for, which might only be, say, 10 episodes, which is generally what they do in a season on, in streaming world, uh, now to, if you want, there, there should be a lot of stuff for you to hunt around and, and try to find to satisfy your curiosity. So that's where the library comes in. And that's been also a bit of an issue for Netflix because as these other uh, services have come online, particularly those that have big studio libraries like HBO Max. Yeah. Um, they've done is they've reclaimed back series that they had previously licensed to Netflix, like Friends. Uh, Friends was on Netflix for for quite a long time, and then HBO Max said we're going to bid on it to get it back, and because they are the Warner Brothers, the studio behind HBO Max is the one that actually produced that show. So they were able to bring that back to HBO Max. So that keeps a lot of people at HBO Max. Similarly, we have uh, Peacock, which is a Comcast Universal-owned streaming service. They had The Office. The Office was hugely popular on Netflix. It just got brought back. It was brought back to Peacock, I think, earlier this year. Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus has all kinds of uh, shows from the CBS library and the Paramount library. Criminal Minds was a huge show for Netflix. Uh, and that is now going back to Paramount+. Plus. 
So interesting. Eric Steinberg, that's all the time we have for that. So thank you so much for giving us some of your time this Sunday morning. My pleasure. Take care. Are you one of the people who has given up their green lawn and trying to maintain it and all the time that it takes to go for xeriscaping? That's the practice of designing landscapes to reduce or eliminate the need for irrigation. To talk more about this is Sigri Kendrick, the executive director of the Okanagan Xeriscape Association. Good morning, Sigri. Good morning, Raji. Happy Sunday to you. I love a Sunday morning. We don't quite have sun here right now, Metro Vancouver. How about you in the Okanagan there? Uh, no, it's um, we have no sun here and it's currently <laughs> raining. So. <laughs> oh, well, you've got some rain, so it's perfect for us to talk about xeriscaping. Tell us what exactly is it? Well, xeriscaping really is gardening with nature um, as we, as the climate warms, um, we have more uh, circumstances like our heat dome last year, you know, which was terrible yeah. for both um, both people, plants, animals. Um, so just learning to make better decisions with our resources. And of course, water is our most vital resource. Um, all you need to do is look south of the border and see what's going on down there with the unbelievable drought that the southern U.S. is experiencing. Um, you know, that's, uh, that's where we're headed as well. So practically speaking, if somebody, say, has a lawn and they are coming to the realization that, oh, their lawn takes up a lot of water and a lot of maintenance mm-hmm. and it doesn't um, give back in the harmoni- harmonious way that you're talking about gardening with nature, xeriscaping does. So practically speaking, what do you do for someone who's in that situation, who's got a lawn and says, oh, I don't need this lawn anymore, I want to xeriscape? Well, Raji, there are so many options and I always tell people, um, it's a process, so start slowly. Um, lots of people get overwhelmed and then frustrated, and then that's not, that's not the best scenario. Um, an excellent resource for your listeners would be to go to our website, and all you need to do is Google OXA. We have a blog on the site where I discuss um, lawn alternatives. Uh, if they are in... Um, in the Okanagan at all, they can certainly come and see our demonstration garden that's located in front of the Aquatic Center on Gordon Drive in Kelowna. And we have lawn alternatives there. Yeah, so um, some there, of these... There's so many options. A lot of people are looking at uh, clover options, which um, really needs very little irrigation, um, provides nitrogen to the soil, uh, doesn't brown... Um, and doesn't need mowing, all sorts of things like that. But there's, there are tons of alternatives for lawn. Um, you know, then the other op- option is just to decrease your lawn slowly. I have, um, I know people that are doing that all the time, and it really has, it's, it, it's huge in terms of your water consumption. Sure. So I guess some people would be hearing this and say, why do I need a lawn alternative if I live in BC where we get so much rain anyway? Like we don't live in California, we don't live in the desert. <clears throat> well, <laughs> I think that um, history has shown that as a species, we're not um, really, we're more reactive than proactive. And water will become, um, you know, as the population increases, 
they say here in the Okanagan, we're going to have another 50,000 people here by the end of this decade. Yeah, I've read so, that. Yeah, so pressures on our resources are increasing with population. So I think everyone, even if they think they live on the wet coast, um, they need to consider it. I know that um, even even your area in Canada, which typically has lots of water, you're, you're facing drought issues as well. So we need to get on top of this before... Before it's too late, really, because we need we need our water for us, for our agriculture, um, to water our animals. Um, yeah, not uh, not to be wasted on our outdoor landscapes. Yeah, I am definitely seeing more of these uh, zeroscaped lo- um, landscaped yards out there now. Um, and you mentioned that they can have. There's a variety of them out there on my street presently. There is an entire yard that is comprised of tiny purple flowers, and the owner told me that uh, they it's some some kind of plant that's related to moss, but that it is an attempt at xeriscaping, uh, that it requires far less water. Do you know what that would that would be? That kind of a lawn? Uh, they might have been planting a thyme. Yes, Does it looks like it's thyme. Possibly, it was very fragrant too. Well, that could be, and that again is something. Traditional turf grass really does not uh, do anything for. I mean, sure, it's nice to walk on for the grandkids to roll around on stuff like that, um, but it doesn't do anything for our pollinators, which you probably also know um, are in decline, and that's where we get our food from. So we really need to be planting. Uh, with that in mind, that we're supplying food for, you know, bees, butterflies, um, birds, stuff like that. Some so. of these lawn alternatives can provide uh, nutrients back to the soil, like nitrogen. What is uh, the benefit of that? Well, um, all plants and your grass require nitrogen to grow. Um, it's one of the, really, the three basics. Um, so if you say, if you want to overseed your traditional turf grass, um, if you have bare spots with a clover mix, the clover will keep your grass greener and healthier. Okay. Now I know some people think, oh, but I can't let go of my lawn. It's so pretty, even if I don't use it, even if I don't have grandchildren to to roll around on it. It's just so, I'm so accustomed to it. I'm so used to it. Mm -hmm. So what do you think is the future of Xeriscaping? Do you see it becoming more popular? How's your business doing? Uh, The organization, the Okanagan Xeriscape Association, our um, membership is double what it's ever been. Wow. I think with, with COVID, a lot of people were at home and they were looking, you're working from home and they're looking at their spaces and they're deciding to make some changes. And what's going on um, climactically, I think people are really getting the message. We cannot waste. The, we're, our primary um, funder is the Okanagan Basin Water Board. And they've done research and they've determined that we, the water we use on our outdoor spaces, residential lawns, gardens, is the second highest use of water um, after agriculture. 
Oh, so, boy. So there's a positive. I mean, that's terrifying to me. But the positive of it is, takeaway, is that we can, we can do a lot with that number in decreasing it. Yeah, if for we sure. Make, if, we, if we make smarter choices. Yes. If we, if we go with the seven principles of their escape, if we make smarter plant choices, if we reduce our turf area, um, all of these are little pieces of the puzzle. Okay, Sigri. Thank you so much for making, your... Oh, yes, go ahead. Well, just we, we are running short on time here, so I'm going to oh. let you go. But thank you so much for giving us your time on this Sunday. Thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for listening to the Weekend Mornings with Raji Sohal podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And you can listen to the show live on 980 CKNW from 6 to 9 a.m. every Sunday. Have a great week.